with the wonders we have made. But the union, the union makes us strong. Hey everybody, this is Jack Devine and you're listening to Revolutions Per Minute on listener-funded WBAI radio. Um, today we'll be covering the headlines from a socialist analysis, speaking with activists Mo and Alex who are organizing against the Amazon deal, and speaking with state senator and DSA member Julia Salazar. Um, before we dive into that, I just want to give credit to the performance by the DSA chorus uh, led by Benita Oliver, who just sang that edition of Solidarity Forever. Um, now let's just go to a, a quick teaser of the interview with Julia Salazar and from our No Amazon NYC canvas. In my opinion, the, the most egregious part of this deal is that the state and city uh, are offering billions of dollars in tax subsidies to Amazon. So that was uh, Julia Salazar, who we'll be speaking with later in the show. So uh, before we dive in, we just want to give a, a little bit of briefer what this new show is going to be about. This is uh, we're all members of the DSA, which is the Democratic Socialists of America. It's the largest socialist organization in the United States. It has bloomed to over 55,000 members in the past few years. People are outraged with capitalism and they're looking for radical solutions. Um, before uh, we start up, I just want to introduce the guests. Um, I'm here today with Alex and Mo. Uh, just tell us a little bit about yourselves. Sure. Do you want to go ahead, Mo? Uh, sure. Um, so I'm Mo, and I'm a data scientist. And I got involved in the DSA after working on Ocasio-Cortez's campaign this past uh, election cycle. Nice. Yeah, um, I'm Alex. I'm a... Uh, uh, co-founder of one of the uh, kind of subgroups of the New York City DSA called Tech Action, um, which is kind of a tech-focused uh, subgroup of that socialist group. Um, and yeah, I've been involved in uh, socialist politics here in New York since pretty much around uh, the Bernie primary. And yeah, I've been enjoying it ever since. Yeah, I guess I should get into a little bit about myself, too. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm Jack. Uh, I've been involved in DSA for about two years now. Um, I mean, I've been trending towards uh, socialism for a long time now. But, I mean, with after the financial crash in 2008, um, you know, the horrors of the war on terror, it just kind of, you know, broke the elite consensus and just kind of showed that, the system is broken, and with, you know, and the impending apocalyptic doom of climate change, uh, it just it's time to take some radical action. So uh, I primarily do uh, political education work, and I've been involved in some uh, electoral campaigns as well, like uh, Jabari Brisport, 
who ran for city council, and I also helped a little bit about on the Julia Salazar campaign. Mm. Um, so is there any like specific things that like really pushed you guys to join DSA? Yeah, um, I mean, for me, I mean, like I said, the uh, Bernie primary uh, was where I first got involved. Um, I think kind of what you pointed to, the kind of collapse of the kind of consensus politics that was kind of exhibited in the whole Clinton primary run um, was what drove me to Bernie as a candidate and kind of the movement around Bernie. And I think that was just the start of kind of, yeah, everything for me kind of crystallized a lot of the kind of disorganized thoughts in my head. Um, And it was just, yeah, his kind of campaign narrative was something that finally was able to explain the world, you know, like the media wasn't able to do that. The Clinton campaign didn't make sense. It was just like empty kind of catchphrases. Um, and I don't know. Yeah. So just like canvassing, um, getting more in touch with like local politics. Um, I did like, uh, worked on the Debbie Medina campaign. So did canvassing there. Um, you know, the healthcare canvassing for that. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of took off from there. But. Well, I didn't really have like a thought out decision to join the TSA. <laughs> um, I was just working on the Ocasio Cortez campaign, and a lot of the organizers yeah. overlapped. And when the Amazon thing happened, I just kind of jumped on board. Um, but I just appreciate like how the DSA organizes around like, like the way. Um, the conversation centers people um, into it rather than just like how do we infinitely grow our economy forever, which is like <laughs> <laughs> what the yeah. conversation seems to usually be. Um, so that aligns a lot more with my values. Nice. How do we grow forever until we destroy the planet, kill all the animals? <laughs> yeah, yeah that's the basis a, of human civilization. There's a contradiction there, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, um, I just think like people should be centered in our conversations more than just, um, you know, the way a lot of capitalist uh, economic rhetoric is. So mm-hmm. where it's just like the health of like the economy, where it's like measured through GDP and how many new jobs we have. It just like doesn't align with my values as much. I don't think that necessarily means as much about like how mm-hmm. people on the ground are doing. So. Yeah, it's like, oh, everything is so great. You hear on the media, oh, the economy is doing great. The unemployment rate is low. But at the same time, people are living, like, the vast majority of people are living paycheck to paycheck. Rent is skyrocketing. You know, people can't afford health care. I mean, tens of thousands of people die in this country every year because they don't have insurance. And it's just, you know, I think every day the absurdities of the current reality are exposed. Mm -hmm. It just becomes clear and clear that these like contradictions are bursting to the surface like why do we have a for-profit healthcare system it does not make any sense it's a waste doesn't make it of better. resources no yeah or more efficient yeah i mean uh are there any like particular issues uh, i mean i know you mentioned healthcare, but uh we're gonna be talking about the amazon deal later today but has anything like driven to you that really exposed like the absurdity of capitalism um just like people's behavior in general like um we were talking about earlier i was reading a book about um the radiant poisoning 
of a lot of women who are working in the factories and how the company spent so much money on litigation when they could have just paid their medical bills instead of going through all that. So just in general, like the way a lot of companies' bad behavior or like the fact that Johnson & Johnson knew there was a asbestos in their like um, baby powder for years and did nothing about it. Like it seems like something you can mitigate. Yeah, and, and mm-hmm. like, and then people just act like this is the natural state of things. There's no alternative. And so what we want to be doing on this show is talking to people on the ground who are fighting every day to build socialism. And, you know, people, I think, have a misconception of what socialism is, that it's like, oh, the government is going to control your life. But what it really is is radical democracy and action. It's empowering people, giving them choice over their day-to-day life, making sure that they're involved in the most important decisions. You know, people do not have power over their health care. I mean, education is becoming increasingly privatized. So rather than kind of finding ways for this small sector of the society, the capitalists, the ruling class, to decide what you should do with your life, we're out here, we're trying to struggle and fight to really empower people so they have actual decision-making abilities and that, so they can have, have the basic necessities to unleash their creative potential. Yeah. I'd agree with that. I do too somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think we're going to transition into some headlines. Um, we're going to primarily focus on some uh, local New York stuff, but at the end we'll give a shout-out to uh, an, a group out in Los Angeles that we think it's really important for people to show some solidarity with. Um, but so uh, DSA has this really great um, online news publication, uh, The Thorn. You can reach it at thethorn.nyc. Um, a couple of the big themes in this week's edition were, you know, everybody's favorite supposed progressive um, Governor Andrew Cuomo and his, uh, his constant ability to promise things and then not deliver. Um, so... You know, after a campaign where he tried to match every one of Cynthia Nixon's proposals about, you know, funding public education and legalizing marijuana and, you know, we're going to repair the subway, it seems like he's constantly taking a step back. Um, this week there was veto uh, for funding for CUNY um, and a, a plan for uh, paid leave. He... Um, used his, I mean, while he's using his address to say he's the progressive alternative, but at the same time, you know, taking away resources from, uh, like, our most vital public institutions and then blocking chance for really, you know, it's key, you know, you know, people work hard. They need paid leave if they're, like, having kids. It's, it's insane that this is not a system that we have within the state what that claims to be the most progressive in the country. Can you do you remember what he said about the L train? Like he said, like it was uh, not going to be closed, but like what was proposed? Oh yeah, in, so in the, place of that, the, actually, the original plan was to have it closed for three years. But since he doesn't really want to commit the resources to like going all the way, and since some real estate developers were maybe a bit upset that their uh, property was going to decline in value as all the professional class Williamsburgers, you know, head out, um, instead they're going to close the subways on the nights and the weekends. And, you know, you may hear that and say, oh, that's great. That's not when most people are using it. But actually, that's when many working class people need to use the subway to get to work. 
Um, so it's, again, Cuomo prioritizing uh, wealthy interests over the vast majority of um, working New Yorkers. And um, we also uh, just wanted to you know, give an update about a special election that Mayor de Blasio announced for public advocate. Um, it will be held on February 26th. There are going to be around 30 candidates, although by January 15th, that may uh, be narrowed down because of the filing process. You know, special elections are not, uh, they don't have the usual rules. There's no primary, no party affiliation. It's just whoever's on the ballot, you go out and vote. Um, this will only be till the end of 2019, when there will be in November of this year, another public advocate election. But I think whoever, you know, steps in and wins the special election will have a bit of a heads up on everyone else and they have a bit of a platform to push their message. What power does the public advocate have? Do you know anything about that? Yeah. I think it's uh, less, it's like, it's like a $4 million budget, but I think that's less important than its ability as it seems to be the place where like a lot of people were climbing up the ladder right. of New York politics. So, I mean, I think it could be pretty key for, you know, someone with, um, you know, at least socialist affiliated politics to fill that role so they could take the next step and, you know, promote those issues across the city. Like Tish James was the last public advocate and now she is the attorney general of mm. New York, which is a really key position. Um, so it's definitely a critical element within like your a stepping stone to higher offices. Yeah, I would say that's the perfect okay. word to frame it as. I think the idea was that they would be the watchdog for the government, and so they have a bully pulpit, and so they can bring up issues. Um, I think they can bring lawsuits hmm. on behalf of citizens. So, and just uh, one last uh, headline, a little shout out we want to give to. Um, the teachers uh, union and the, the, just the teachers in general out in Los Angeles, um, they will be going on strike starting Thursday, January 10th. Um, they, the schools are under the threat of privatization. The class size there are ridiculous per people spending in supposedly progressive liberal California is in not just like the bottom half. I believe it's uh, 43rd in the entire country. Um, so they're, you know, they're not just fighting for their higher wages, which they absolutely deserve. Um, they're also fighting for their communities. They've done a lot of really great work in connecting with parents um, in order to, you know, build this kind of like social movement unionism. And it's really a great, uh, you know, continuing of all the uh, worker actions, particularly in teaching, nursing, um, and as well as like the hotel workers, kind of social reproductive strikes. Uh, so it's uh, some really exciting stuff going on. So we're just going to head to our uh, brief station break, but you're listening to Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI uh, New York Radio on 99.5 FM. All right, and we're back. So we're going to, you know, just do a brief explainer on the Amazon deal. You know, on the surface, you're like, oh, Amazon's so great. I get, you know, things delivered straight to my house. It's really cheap. You know, what's the problem with Amazon? 
and uh, Alex is going to give a nice Let's little. Let's do it. Out Let's talk us. about how bad they are. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> excuse me. So uh, on November twelfth of last year, after a year-long race to the bottom bidding contest between what felt like basically every city in America, um, Amazon announced its plan to open. Uh, a new headquarters in Long Island City, Queens. And um, the plan for that is a result of a private deal between three very powerful men, Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos, um, the richest man in the world. I'm sure you guys have heard that. Um, Governor Andrew Cuomo, our friend, uh, and <laughs> our mayor, Bill de Blasio. Um, so this is a deal that will include roughly um, what people are saying, up to $3 billion in public subsidies, mostly in the form of tax breaks, um, but also involving forfeiture of public land and properties, including this massive uh, Department of Education structure. Um, so obviously New, uh, New Yorkers are upset, um, upset that this record-breaking amount of public money uh, is being handed over to one of the richest corporations in the world, um, while you know, our subway system, our schools, our public housing remain critically underfunded. Um, uh, we're upset, you know, because of the displacement it'll cause, uh, the massive dislocation of long-term residents. Um, it's going to increase homelessness. Uh, up to 800 people are expected to be, you know, homeless from this deal. And uh, so uh, DSA and uh, coalition partners are out doing some really great work connecting with uh, New Yorkers um, to see what their perspective is on uh, on the deal and why they're afraid they're going to get pushed out of their homes. So we have uh, some uh, sound right now that we're going to go to. Um, please enjoy this. I'm Kyle from Brooklyn DSA. In mid-November 2018, Mayor Bill de Blasio and Governor Andrew Cuomo celebrated Amazon's announcement that NYC would be the site of half of its new headquarters. I'm a Bay Area native, where a 15-year tech boom made San Francisco the city with the most expensive rent in the world, and a homelessness crisis that the UN called a human rights violation. So I have a personal interest in understanding the effect that Amazon's presence in New York City could have. On December 16th, I interviewed activists at DSA's anti-Amazon campus in Sunnyside, Queens. Hey, I'm Daniel, Queens Branch. Uh, come through anytime you want. Queens is the future. What is a campus? So really, it's just like the, uh, I guess, I don't know, the Julia or the Ocasio campaign. I think even Cynthia, too, people were using the phrase like the radical act of uh, talking to your neighbors, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, as opposed to the whole mail order or TV commercial sort of paradigm, it's, it's going out and literally, you know, paving the pavement, uh, talking to people and, uh, you know, Honestly, more often than not, activating people who already completely agree with you. These issues are very popular. Universal rent control, healthcare, not liking ICE. So really just giving people an outlet to either support it through electoral mechanisms or to go out and act as activists or canvassers themselves. So this gets people activated. It gets people excited. It's a bit of a, a virtuous uh, circle or cycle of engagement. And uh, a lot of the folks are more than happy when we text them or post. More often than not, we post something and they reach out to us asking to get involved. Also, helps to be at like 5,000 plus members now, which is like, you know, even if, uh, you know, uh, uh, 1% come through, I think 50 people to Canvas is pretty awesome, right? So. Here's one of the field captains training a new canvasser to talk to neighbors in Sunnyside, Queens. A lot of people are cognizant this was not a democratic process. They don't feel listened to. If Jeff Bezos and Andrew Cuomo don't want to listen to you, at least DSA does, a little good PR for us. Um, 
then, I, I mean, that's just an intrinsic point. This was not a democratic, uh, transparent process. Then I, I vacillate a little between specific and universal, depending on the nature of the building. Mm -hmm. Good universal one, every New Yorker's pissed that we're giving the richest guy in the world $3 billion. Uh, if you perceive that you are in a renter's building and not a cooperative or a house, well, then go to a universal rent control. Maybe ask them, what chance, are you a renter? Um, also very diverse area, people hate ICE. So making them cognizant that ICE provide, or Amazon provides the facial recognition software to ICE. And then I had another one. Oh, and if they come out like an IBW shirt, maybe you want to ask them about unions. Amazon is virulently anti-union. So three billion is always a hit. They didn't listen to us, it's always a hit. And then depending on the conversation, or the nature of the building, you may want to include universal rent control, unions, and ICE. People really want to talk way more than like electoral stuff. They will sit and talk to you for like 25 minutes. And often with a weird mix of like, oh, I hate Amazon, but I like Prime, but I hate rent, but I admire Bezos. So just walk with them through that, you know? Uh, and I did 60 units in like two hours and 45 minutes. Uh, Mark from Queens. Yeah, we're standing in Sunnyside, Queens, which is part of Queens Community Board 2, which is like the most ethnically diverse uh, community board in the city. Over 60% of the population is foreign born. And like Amazon proudly partners with ICE. So not only are they going to displace our community, they're also actively trying to deport our neighbors. <laughs> like that, the union busting and all the other that Amazon engages in. Just like, seriously, it's not a new deal thing. It's like, a no deal, keep Amazon the hell out of New York. We are in the car with Ify Ike. She is a candidate for public advocate. Um, we are headed over to the uh, Queens Canvas in Sunnyside for uh, No on Amazon NYC. My brother worked at Amazon for six months um, in a site in New Jersey. There were so many conditions that um, made it very hard for him to work in those uh, work at the Amazon site. One of which was my mother just literally couldn't hear from him in those six months. His his phone was not allowed to be on the work floor. Um, the most severe was that he lost forty pounds in six months and. I remember that time just being one of those things where we just thought my brother was just extremely busy, but we didn't realize it was the working conditions that he was under at Amazon. With a company like Amazon that also has built this expectation of getting products pretty much whenever you want it, that means that for the workers, their days turn from like 10 hour days to 14 hour days. Oh and then they go from two weeks being on peak season to what happened with my brother ended up being three months. So he was literally on this like 10 to 14 hour schedule um, all the way from Black Friday through tax season of the next year oh and God. every time he asked like when is this gonna end there was no end in sight we live in a, in a city where we have um, an intense history of taking over land and taking over property from poor communities, communities of color, immigrant communities, um, and especially black and brown communities all of that is important in the history of you know how we look at a major player like Amazon, literally the largest global player coming into our backyard. All right. Welcome back. I hope everyone enjoyed that uh, sound clip about the uh, horrors that Amazon is going to wreak on our local community. Um, so I think what's key here is, you know, we want to cover why Amazon is so bad in terms of, you know, its labor practices. Uh, you can you don't even just look at the United States. Um, you know, what they've done internationally is particularly heinous. Uh, you know, in Germany, they were uh, they were employing a lot of Syrian refugees 
and to discourage worker organizing, they uh, hired a neo, what is essentially a neo-Nazi security force to make sure that the um, security force was particularly hateful towards uh, the workers. Um, But at the same time, you know, all these horrible things have also spurred a lot of great action from um, workers all across the world. Um, This uh, past year on uh, Black Friday, you had workers uh, in Germany and Spain across Europe organize strikes against Amazon in their warehouses that, you know, don't even let people go to the bathroom during the day that are so rigid in their production that Bezos tried to slip in a pattern where he would turn workers into uh, make them go into cages in order to enforce their stuff. But what we want to talk about here is, you know, there's actions going on in New York. You have um, at the Staten Island warehouse, you have workers starting to organize, uh, trying to form a union. And then you have really great work that um, the DSA is doing with coalition partners, specifically around this deal um, to fight back. So um, uh, either Mo or Alex, whoever wants to get going on Um, the work that you guys have been doing. Yeah, so our canvassing operation is going to be back up again, so people should look out for that. We're going to be having a meeting tonight to talk about um, long-term strategy for this. Um, But we are also encouraging people to go to their community board meetings. So there's a bunch of them coming up. Um, We'll announce the dates later. And there's a second city council hearing on the Amazon um, deal. I know Amazon um, has been sending out mailers, and they're trying to find community liaisons. <laughs> liaisons. <laughs> Sorry, liaisons to um, go out and you know, like talk to the community about how they're so great for small businesses and how they're gonna <laughs> make New York the best city ever. They're um, ramping up their propaganda for for sure. They're gonna be putting money everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Churches, so, um, community groups. We want to make sure yeah. that we're going to be on the ground talking to um, everyone in Queens and making sure that they know, um, like, the situation in Seattle and how Amazon had basically just, like, uh, strong-armed the council there into repealing the tax for um, which they were going to use to fund for homeless sh- shelters. Um, and, like, the way that Amazon just, like, Put such a burden on the infrastructure there. I know they had to um, invest about a billion dollars to build new infrastructure just to serve <laughs> the Amazon headquarters, basically, and the influx of people. And Amazon paid for like one cable cart on the train that went there, um, which is ridiculous when they're using so much of the local infrastructure. So yeah, I mean, it's like when it comes to that homelessness tax too. It's like pretty. Uh, there's a pretty clear correlation that. When Amazon built their headquarters in Seattle in the years afterward, you know, the homelessness population spiked. Like rents went soaring. People were forced out of their homes. I mean, people, the Seattle City Council is like almost essentially begging uh, the New York City Council to not uh, like do whatever they can to not push this deal through because it was so, it had such horrific consequences for the city of Seattle and really has like accelerated the process of gentrification, forcing people out of their homes. But that's why I think it's you know so important to you know counter their you know relentless propaganda campaign, and they have such power to do so because it's I mean it's a massive brand. It's like the yeah. it's arguably the largest corporation in the world, owned by the wealthiest person in the world, who you know makes more money in one minute than you will your entire life. 
So, you know, just when you think about, oh, you know, capitalism isn't so bad, think about how someone supposedly works harder and provides more value in one minute than you do your entire life. Yeah. I mean, I think it's bigger than just Amazon. I mean, I think you could think of, like, all this development effort that's going into this part of Queens as, like, you could think of it like part of Silicon Valley East, you know? Like, I think there is, if it's not explicit, it's, like, you can see the kind of the, the pieces of the puzzle coming together, like with like the ferry service going there and like, I don't know, all these like tax subsidies for like, you know, tech companies. And I don't know, I think we're gonna see a lot more beyond just this in Long Island City and in Queens and, you know. I just feel like all of these tech workers aren't like gonna be living in a bubble. They're gonna have needs and there's gonna be more jobs for low wage workers and service workers. And where are those people <laughs> supposed to go? Like, yeah. are we going to end up like San Francisco where no provision everyone is just no. homeless? Like, Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's the direction we're heading in unless we intervene and like change the, the trajectory, right? Yeah, Alex, you're involved in the Tech Workers Coalition, right? So, uh, a tech tech, tech uh, Workers Action tech, Group. Yeah, yeah. We, um, tech Action uh, Group uh, is part of DSA, New York City DSA. Um, the Tech Workers Coalition are not, but we do... We do have a lot of communication with them, and they're they kind of came out of the West Coast. Um, they they came out of these big tech campuses in Silicon Valley um, in the Bay Area, and they've done a lot of cool stuff. I mean, yeah, I could go on, but they they've done a lot of cool stuff like organizing, kind of like cross class organizing with um, like cafeteria workers, security guards, uh, and you know more kind of techie white collar coders um and they actually have a presence here now in new york city but anyway yeah i'm i'm um i'm in a tech group within dsa and we do similar things it's a lot of political education around socialism and tech issues it's like a conduit between tech workers and dsa and like kind of the larger activities that go on in dsa um and also just for people that are you know uh, upset with like big tech you know in dsa and outside yeah, because it seems like, you know, for a while you would see out there like, oh, you know what? Everyone needs to just go become a coder and then they're going to make a lot of money. Everything's going to be fine. But it seems like increasingly, you know, this kind of what was like a hyper individualist culture within a lot of these tech firms is starting to erode because a lot of the workers there are starting to realize that they're being mistreated, that it's not everything that it was promised to be, mm -hmm. that, yeah, maybe there's some really good benefits, but there's still rampant sexual harassment. Like there is in any, you know, hierarchical structure where the bosses have power over the workers. And yeah, or they don't even get, you know, the choice of what they get to work on, right? Like uh, workers at Google or Amazon have to like, work on projects for the military like facial recognition software or like um yeah like some whatever new software for like the department of defense or ice right and they get pissed and then they realize oh we have no power like we can't do anything about this right so they could just not work on it <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's true but i mean but it, it is like if you're in that in that world like and you and you're only looking at these companies right and you think that's like your trajectory like and you see every one of them are working on terrible things right and it's like what do I do? There's a lot of action now um, to like get tech workers to organize against it. I know 
there was pressure from people working in Google to make them stop um, building Project the search Maven engine for or oh that yeah, for China. Chi- China yeah yeah mm-hmm. and I know workers at Amazon with Equity have been pressuring them mm-hmm. to be more environmentally friendly. Mm-hmm. So it's changing. It's definitely changing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Microsoft, you had um, some big organizing yeah. going on against ICE. If, um, yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. They were building software. I think you mentioned the facial yeah. recognition software. Yeah. Um, and that like was a big aspect and kind of like starting mm-hmm. to perhaps like radicalize some tech workers, realizing that the the do no evil <laughs> phrasing that Google used to promote, which I think they took down because yep. people started to realize that. Yeah. They um, that, you know, actually, maybe we're okay with being evil. Yeah. Well, just to bring it back to Amazon, I mean, part of the reason we should, you know, hate them and be upset with them is like they're totally happy to work with the military and with ICE. Like they they don't put any gloss on that. Right. Like Google puts a little bit of gloss on that. Like, oh, we really don't want to. Or like we're trying not to do anything bad. But like Amazon's like, no, like this is great. Like we want to do this. We're moving our other headquarters to Virginia. Right. Like they have no shame about that. And so, like, we should meet them, you know, in the streets about that or, like, in, you know, in, in our government or whatever, you know. Especially considering Queens is one of the most diverse, yeah. like, um, you know, mm-hmm. communities. communities yeah. And, like, I just, yeah, I don't know terrible. how comfortable I would feel, you know, having Amazon be here when they just cooperate with I so much. Yeah. So. I mean, hopefully we'll have time in this episode, but Tech Action, one of the things we're trying to do. Um, just within our group is circulate this uh, no work for Amazon pledge. I signed that. <laughs> nice. That's um, a great idea. Yeah. So I don't know if we can link that somewhere, but that's something, you know, it's like, how can we enforce that? Whatever. But I don't know. It's like, a, it's like a media tool, right? Like if we can get lots of signatures, I don't know, maybe it'll make them a little bit scared. Right. Or, um, yeah, and so. doing that work like in coalition with like the workers who are organizing in their warehouses because I think mm-hmm. it's also you know important totally. to differentiate between you know the people who are working in their warehouses are typically very desperate people who are going to take whatever work they can get, so it's right. key for them to be organizing there. Of course, and, and then the, the you know the wa- white collar workers who are also being exploited and will have their rent go up, but you know are receiving far more benefits. It's not as horrific to work in those conditions. Yeah obviously that you know building an alliance between all these different types of workers that you know their enemy is the same jeff bezos and you know the investors are exploiting them at a massive rate and they have power to change how you know how something like amazon is organized like Mm -hmm. what's you know beyond like these struggles i think we have to start thinking about like what are the alternatives to amazon because obviously there's benefits to having you know international uh, networks of distribution being able to get goods, uh, you know, quickly. I mean, there yeah. there can be you know conversations on whether with climate change, whether degrowth is probably the direction that we need to be heading in. But at the same time, there's ways to do this, you know, in it, perhaps in a way that is not focused on growth, but, but make the, sure yeah. people can have their goods, the but very have least, it worker owned. At the very least, yeah. At the very least, it doesn't have to be in some like one idiot's like hands right like jeff bezos like at the very least it can be like owned by the people right i don't know what that'll look like but i mean that's why also a lot of the tech workers have more um like bargaining Mm -hmm. um like power because they do get equity when they work at amazon and they are in a position where they can make demands that other people can't be making who are working in the warehouse and even if they don't feel like they're being exploited like Mm -hmm. they don't live in a bubble alone like the warehouse workers are just as much a part of that company as they are, and they should yeah. just like think about how like mm-hmm. they want like what kind of society and what kind of 
values they want to have, you know? Yeah, I think, I don't know, to bring it back to the pledge, but, like, maybe that's, like, one way, to, small way to, like, instill that kind of class consciousness, maybe, or, like, this idea of worker power, you know? All right, so we are going to uh, cut away to our interview with uh, Julia Salazar, um, this DSA member and state senator uh, of New York. We're here today with incoming New York State Senator Julia Salazar. Salazar, who received endorsements from NYC DSA as well as the National Electoral Committee of DSA, won the September 13th Democratic primary with 58.9% of the vote, the highest margin of victory in an anti-incumbent primary in the state Senate in 2018. She went on to win the general election and will be representing the people of North Brooklyn starting this very month as the first socialist in the state Senate in almost a century. So, Julia, uh, congratulations on your win. So when exactly do you take office? I will be sworn in on January 9th. Aha. That is exactly one day after this episode is supposed to air. Yeah. Very exciting. (laughs) Excellent. One of the things on a lot of New Yorkers' minds lately is this looming Amazon invasion of Long Island City, which will bring massive gentrification to the city and probably displace thousands of current residents. Uh, Can you talk about why this deal is such a big problem that we have to fight against? As you know, Amazon is a a deeply predatory corporation, Um, you know, the the CEO of which is is one of the wealthiest people in the entire world. They also have a a long um, and horrifying record of union busting and terrible labor practices, especially in their warehouses um, across the world. So it's alarming that that alone is is sufficient for us to be alarmed that Amazon is has struck this deal with the governor to to bring their headquarters and, and with the mayor to bring their their um, second headquarters to Long Island City in Queens. Uh, the site that they want to build on is located uh, right next to uh, one of the largest uh, ho- public housing developments in the country. Uh, it will have a profound effect on the community, um, the immediate community especially, um, but I think I think perhaps the borough of Queens and, and can affect my district as well in Greenpoint, um, very close to Long Island City. Um, uh, and I, I think unfortunately in a, in a mostly negative way, despite the way that it's been marketed to us, but the worst, I, in my opinion, the, the most egregious part of this deal is that um, the, the state and city uh, are offering billions of dollars in tax subsidies to Amazon. Uh, some have said two billion. Um, I've heard as well closer to four billion. Um, and uh, these, you know, the, those are tax dollars that we desperately need. At the same time, um, it, it demonstrates where our priorities as a state, as a city, are when we are willing to give billions of dollars to Amazon, who does not need an incentive to to relocate to New York. Um, willing to give them billions of dollars in in tax subsidies that, you know, really we we should be using that state funding to. Uh, you know, to to finally fully fund our our uh, public schools, right? That alone could could nearly cover the gap in foundation aid uh, to our our neediest uh, public schools across the state mm. um, uh, to to finally equitably fund our our schools. Um, it could be used to repair the subway, uh, in part. You know, um, it it could go to so many different uh, you know public needs, and instead will just be funneled to this corporation um, over the course of several years. 
And so I think it's it's really critical that we fight this deal. There is still um, there's still a lot that we can do to try to stop it, um, or at the very least, try to mitigate the the harmful effects and potentially stop the tax subsidies um, from from being included in the deal. Right. So there's a lot of talk about how the deal itself is actually over and done with. But other people are saying that that's not necessarily even true. So is there anything that can be done in the state Senate to actually stop the deal outright? Yes. So um, one there there's one thing uh, Assembly member Ron Kim is introducing legislation um, to try to end any of any any and all corporate tax subsidies. So it would it would preclude us from from giving you know billions of dollars to Amazon to relocate. Um, I I think that uh, I think Senator Janaris is I, I believe it's Senator Janaris who is going to be introducing uh, the same as in the Senate. And if that passes, that would make um, I think a profound difference on what the deal looks like. Hmm. I'm not sh- I'm not sure that it would be able to stop Amazon from relocating, but it would um, you know really. Uh, get at the the most harmful part of the deal. Um, additionally, there's something called the Public Authorities Control Board or PACB um, or PACB that is, uh, you know, one member of this board is appointed by Governor Cuomo, but the other three members are of the, the state legislature. And that board uh, needs to approve this deal. Um, recently, people weren't sure because Amazon was able to, to um, bypass in a deeply undemocratic uh, and, and in my opinion, um, you know, corrupt, <laughs> shady way, uh, Amazon, this, this Amazon deal was able to bypass the Euler process, the, the land use process that developers usually have to go through um, at the city level in order to, to move forward. Uh, they were able to bypass Euler, but uh, I, my understanding is they're not going to be able to bypass uh, PACB. And so if we put pressure on the members, the four members of that board to uh, to reject the deal uh, or to force force um, Amazon uh, and, and the governor and the mayor to return to the drawing board um, and make it a more democratic process, then um, then I think that is that's also worthwhile as well. Um, and and finally, in order for all of this, all of these strategies to be effective, I think we need to continue uh, the, the grassroots organizing that we've seen in the last last month or so since the deal was uh, or last couple months since the deal was announced. Um, I, I think that it's it's been grassroots backlash um, and uh, progressive um, candidates who are, you know, my, myself included, who are truly accountable to the community um, and and haven't been uh, bought out by private interests. We we've been we've been speaking out. Right. And, um, you know, the the DSA in Queens, particularly uh, near the, the site and and in the communities that are going to be directly impacted by this deal uh, has been canvassing and doing a lot of political education around it. And that's really critical. Um, I, I'm, I've seen in this last election cycle um, and, and over the last several years that that I was you know, previously a full time community organizer and legislative advocate. Um, I've seen how critical it is for for um, our communities to organize and put pressure on elected officials to do the right thing. And I think that could really make a difference this time. 
Well, Julia, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, we're all wishing you a lot of luck going into your first legislative session. Excellent. Thank you so much, Charlie. I appreciate it. Hey, everybody, you're listening to Revolutions Per Minute on WBAI listener funded radio 99.5 FM. Um, So we just, you know, wanted to, again, briefly explain, you know, what the Democratic Socialists of America are and open the phone lines for a bit to see if anyone has any questions. You can call in on 212-209-2877. The Democratic Socialists of America is a democratically run um, socialist organization that is big tent. So we range in a wide amount of uh, ideologies. Um, We determine our uh, decisions, you know whether we're going to endorse a campaign, and if that's electoral, whether we're going to participate in a direct action, you know, sort of a protest or, you know, occupying an office, whether we're going to show solidarity with a strike through a democratic process. And so that is really key for us and that we believe in fighting for a democratically controlled and run economy. You know, this can be on multiple layers. Our main campaigns right now that we're focused on are Medicare for All, um, which is a single-payer healthcare system in which the uh, federal government is the only insurer, which would, you know, make the healthcare system far more efficient and effective. This is um, proven. But, you know, we want to go beyond that. We're not just, you know, embracing, you know, those reforms. We want to, um, you know, be part of a, uh, like, a process, a social revolutionary change in which the society is organized around people and not profit and that people are empowered in their workplaces and that the tyranny of the boss is overthrown by a a democratically um, run structure, that energy is controlled democratically. Um, If you guys have any thoughts on this and if you guys, you know, want to talk about any specific actions that uh, you have coming up, uh, now's your time. I have specific actions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, there's going to be community boards meetings coming up. So community board four is meeting today at seven. Uh, community board five is, is meeting. in Queens, right? Yeah. yeah these are cool. all in Queens. Sorry about that. Um, so community board five is tomorrow at 730. Um, community board three is going to be January 15 at 630 p.m. And community board one is going to be January 17 at 730 p.m. Um, also, there's going to be a city council hearing on the Amazon deal on January 30th, and then that's at 10 a.m. And people can go to the New York City DSA Facebook page, and they can uh, keep track of any upcoming actions that we have planned. And NYC DSA is also on Twitter. Uh, I believe uh, the website is also socialist.nyc. Um, you were involved, uh, Alex, in yeah. a city hall protest uh sure. earlier uh, well i guess not this year but last year <laughs> yeah yeah it was on um i can speak a little bit about it it was on december 12th of last year and what it was was the first meeting of the um committee on economic development which i believe was if the if the amazon deal had not bypassed the city they would have had some say in approving it um but they did you know uh held this held this hearing anyway um, to accept public comment and also invite Amazon to speak. And basically the idea um, was to get this uh, big, what, what we're calling now like uh, anti-Amazon, no Amazon coalition, which is a huge group, including DSA, but um, way more others than just DSA. Uh, I could spend like a minute just listing all the different community groups. But um, the idea was just to pack 
City Hall um, with people just to, you know, make a statement in front of the media, um, in front of people in New York that, you know, we're here, we're a, we're a large group, and we're against this deal. Um, so there's a press conference on the on City Hall steps, um, representatives from each coalition, or, or sorry, representatives from each group in the coalition uh, said a few words, and then we went into the um, City Hall hearing room and uh, basically just dropped this banner right uh, as Amazon's reps were speaking. And, you know, it was only like, I don't even know, like 20 seconds, maybe not even that much time. But, you know, that's all you need to kind of make a statement and um, get that message in the media. And, uh, yeah, you know, it was fun. Does DSA, uh, I mean, I haven't heard uh, in my own involvement specifically related to Amazon, but I know there's a lot of ideas out there on the socialist left about like alternative forms of ownership, um, whether this is, you know, directed through the state or, you know, something I'm more inclined to, which would be kind of a network of uh, worker cooperatives determining um, how, you know, it's like something that could replace Amazon. And this is not, you know, like worker cooperatives are not some sort of fairy tale. They exist all across the world. Um, they even exist in confederations of worker-owned businesses. So, you know, it's it's not like something that we're creating. It's not utopian. It's it's really existing. Uh, is there anything on that end that DSA is working on right now, or is it mainly focused on direct action? Um, I mean, I can speak only from, I mean, from the kind of like tech action vantage. That's actually something we've been meaning to have a meeting about. A lot of what we do is like political education. Um, and there are a lot of people in our group that are kind of seduced by the, I would say, the kind of co-op model. It's pretty split because on the other side, it's like, well, you're not, if you're not decommodifying an industry, you're still going to have competition from capitalists, right? So you could have all these co-ops. I'm kind of going off now, but um, but you would still there'd still be that competitive pressure, right? That would, that would put downward pressure in of itself. It's not a solution, but it could be part of a larger plan. It's a good political education tool, right? Um, So we're going to transition now to our interview with Lee, who will be um, in the studio next week on our episode focused on eco-socialism. Lee is out at a a protest um, outside a court decision right now. um, And we're looking forward to talking to her. Hey Lee, you're live hey. on WBI uh, WBAI radio. Um, hey. So how? Um, so can you please uh, describe uh, you know what the court decision um, was originally about? What was the case about? And what did the court decide? And are there any actions planned uh, related to this um, decision? Yeah. So I'm in uh, Peekskill, New York, tonight. Uh, if you're not sure where that's at, it's just a little bit up the Hudson River. And what happened was, uh, in 2016, the uh, New York State approved construction of a frack gas pipeline to come through this area. And even though New York State banned fracking because we said it was unsafe, we're still building this infrastructure in our state. So after lots of community involvement, people calling Governor Cuomo, people calling Senator Schumer and Senator Gillibrand to intervene, Um, and doing every possible thing that they could to try to stop this pipeline in a legal way. Three people crawled into that pipeline and halted construction for 18 hours. And so for the last two and a half years, this trial has been slowly going on. And what the defendants were trying to argue was what's called the necessity defense, that they committed an illegal action because it prevented an imminent and greater harm, that this pipeline contributes to climate change, 
This pipeline exposes local community members to frac gas pollution. And this pipeline also goes with 105 feet of Indian Point nuclear power plant, which is an aging and failing nuclear power plant. So if there was a rupture in this pipeline, which we know happens all the time, uh, New York City is actually in the evacuation zone. So that puts 20 million people at risk. So they took this action to prevent that greater harm. And that's the argument that they presented in front of a judge. And if the judge found them not guilty today, it would be the first time ever that in a trial, in a climate-related trial, that people were found not guilty by reason of necessity. Unfortunately, the judge came back and found them guilty today. She took a very, very narrow view of the necessity defense and said that since these people didn't file as interveners in the federal process, uh, that they did not do everything possible. They did not exhaust every legal option before committing an illegal act. So in some ways, um, it was a win because she actually recognized that there is a lot of imminent harm that this pipeline presents when it comes to climate change, when it comes to the risk of it being next to Indian Point, but kind of, you know, took this very narrow legal view and still found them guilty. Uh, she also decided, though, that there would be really no penalties. They don't have to do any community service. They don't have to pay any fines. And so we think that's a recognition that she recognized the harms that this pipeline actually presents. And what the community is asking is that Governor Cuomo recognize those same risks. The governor's administration has put out a risk assessment of the pipeline and determined that it is not safe to go next to Indian Point. But instead of actually taking action, the governor has kind of kicked the can down the road to um, the federal agencies, which we know will do nothing. So what people can do um, is contact Governor Cuomo and ask him to shut off the gas in this pipeline. We need him to be a real climate leader. And we need him to stop um, investing New York's money in frack gas infrastructure. And next week when um, I'll be back on the show, since I won't be here, uh, we'll talk a lot more about the different frack gas infrastructure that Governor Cuomo has approved and different ways, like what would a socialist energy plan look like? How, what would the world look like if we actually owned our own energy? So, you know, the community here is still fighting this pipeline. They're still asking for Governor Cuomo to shut the gas off when the decision came down guilty. Uh, everybody stood up in the audience, turned their backs on the judge, and walked out singing movement songs. So this community is definitely still fighting this pipeline and asking for the gas to be shut off. And like I said, next week we'll talk a lot more about what our energy plan looks like for New York State. Thank you for that really amazing update. It seems to you know highlight a lot of the things that we were talking about today that, um, you know, Cuomo and a lot of the New York Democrats may, you know, put on a friendly face for progressivism, but at the end of the day, they bend their knee to capital. Profit is put over people, and the only way to counter that is to organize on the ground against these, you know, um, ruling class interests. Uh, we we have a caller uh, live on WB live on you're live on WBAI radio. Hey, everyone. Um, I am a New York City DSA member, uh, and that was a really cool update, but I'm going to bring it back to the no Amazon conversation from earlier. Um, you guys were mentioning that Amazon is ramping up their uh, propaganda campaign, and I saw a lot of people posting on social media that they've gotten these really awful flyers, like, Happy New Year's from your future neighbors, Amazon. Um, and, and my role in, in uh, DSA is that I'm a designer and illustrator, and so we're sort of trying to counter this and come up with our own propaganda, if you will. So just sort of a 
silly or serious question for you all and anyone else who wants to call in. What kinds of imagery, anti-Amazon imagery, do you think would be effective? What would the community respond to? What do you think would be fun? Yeah, I really like those, like, it's pretty simple, but it's just like the upside down, you know, like Amazon smile, right? <laughs> I mean, that's like, because you look at it and you're like, oh, is that an Amazon logo? But you're like, oh, wait, something's wrong. Like, oh, wait, I hate Amazon, you know? So I don't know, but this is probably other good stuff. My ambitious design idea that I would not be capable of doing on my own would be kind of a like a utopian dystopian contrast like you see the dystopian vision of New York where you have Amazon we're all kind of Silicon Valley robots being forced to work for like 14 hours a day and then you have a sort of a socialist utopian version where people have you know actual free time they're not uh, you know you show some images with a lot more you know green energy I think there's a way to do that you gotta put on a sticker man you gotta fit on a sticker though. I think someone can do it someone can put it together you know I've seen <laughs> similar things like that before maybe mm-hmm. not focused on amazon um but i think that's a oh well i think it'd be cool if someone would just uh flip the design so that they like format it the same as the flyers but with mm. counterpoints to each of the things amazon said because we all know they're not friendly yeah. to small businesses or that they care about public schools yeah, <laughs> yeah give people arguments yeah put it in the directly in there yeah all right everybody we've got to wrap up our first show but thank you for joining revolutions per minute on wbai radio um you're about to listen again to the uh, really incredible performance by uh dsa chorus and uh the harlem bass singer uh, benita oliver There are new favorable developments in the case of Mumia Abu-Jamal on Saturday, January 12th, starting at 3 p.m. at the People's Forum, 320 West 37th Street. Listen to guest speakers Glenn Ford, Pam Africa, Bob Doyle, Robin Spencer, and Dr. Joanna Fernandez on their report. If the DA doesn't appeal, Mumia's case will move forward to a higher court where he will be able to present evidence of innocence. A report back on new favorable developments in the case of Mumia Abu-Jamal on Saturday, January 12th, starting at 3 p.m. at the People's Forum, 320 West 37th Street. For more details, email bringmumiahome at gmail.com. You can live a healthy life and raise a healthy family in a toxic world if you know how. Hi, I'm Doug Wood, co-host of Green Street, the environmental health show here on WBAI. Every other Tuesday evening, Patty and I talk to some of the world's leading experts who provide in-depth information and practical solutions you can use to keep yourself and your family healthy and safe. So keep your radio set right here to 99.5 FM WBAI and join us every other Tuesday evening at 8 right here on Green Street.
This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org online. This is a listener-sponsored community radio station providing you a Pacifica state of mind since 1960. And the previous program was the debut broadcast of... Um, just get that revolutions per minute uh it's a new program so forgive me if i i'll i'll, I'll get used to the name <laughs> in the name of the new programs that are out there so yeah that is on tuesdays at 5 p.m